everybody. We're back. I'm Bryn. I'm Kelsey. And welcome to Crime Cults and Coffee. Yes. We're really excited about today's coffee review. When are we not, though? I know. <laughs> and I feel like we're always like, oh my god, we love it. But it's really good. We were just talking about, off mic, we were just talking about how when the pandemic li- lifts, we're literally road tripping to all these coffee shops that have sent us stuff because <laughs> we want to eat eat at their places and have the coffee made the way that yeah, they make it. Yeah, and visit these beautiful yeah, eco-friendly shops. So, in um, person. we're going to go on a coffee tour if you want to come. Just let us know. <laughs> join us. It's all over the place. Yeah. Multiple states. Yeah. But we're going to go. Yeah. Cuz like just looking at some of the stuff is insane. So, today's coffee is from it's called Jack Stir Brew Coffee. And it's located, they have a ton of locations, but it was based out of New York. Yeah, New York City. Yeah. I miss you. (laughs) (laughs) So some of their locations are on 10th Street, Reed Street, Tribeca, um, Montauk Highway, Division Street, and Hudson Yard. So they have tons of locations, and all of them are beautiful. And I actually recognize their location in Amagansett because... My grandpa lives in the Hamptons, and I'm like, boo, I'm going to come see you now, and I'm going to stop at Jack Stirbrew because I know exactly where you are. All of these places are, like, so cute and quaint. Yeah. I feel like I'm kind of going back in time looking at their shops, if that makes sense. Yeah. And even the can that, like, the coffee they sent us is in a can. It was in, like, a little tumbler can. My heart... If, if you ask anyone, I am obsessed with vintage. That's what I do for a living outside of podcasting yeah. is work with vintage. And this can just is so vintage looking. And it's beautiful. I love it. You'll I see love it. it so much. You'll see it on our page. Yeah. But yeah, so four of their locations actually are open seven days a week, which is awesome. Aww. Two of them aren't, but they have their own separate hours. Um, but yeah. I cannot wait to actually be in these shops drinking their coffee. Actually, my mistake, two of, all of them are open seven days a week, but two of them just have different hours. Okay, gotcha. But yeah, I need to go there. Do you want to talk about their food? Yeah, and before we move on with their food and stuff, because I'm definitely diving into their food, their Instagram handle is Jack's Stirbrew. Sorry, I have something stuck in my throat. (laughs) I'm like choking. Per usual. Yeah. And... Yeah, so their Instagram handle is Jack Sturbrew, and you can also order them on DoorDash if you visit, if you live in the city. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, a couple of things that caught my eye, <laughs> they were all donuts. The of first one that I saw, it's called the Blackout Donut, Amazing. and it's chocolate on chocolate. And has sprinkles. And I want to black out on that donut. Yeah, I would black out. <laughs> um, it looks delicious. And then another one, and they have, an, before I go on to the other donut, they have a lot of um, vegan options. Which is awesome. Which is awesome. They have a vegan peanut chocolate chip donut. Ugh, could you imagine I'm what that like tastes salivating like? looking at it. Could you imagine what uh, that tastes The like? texture, the crunch. <laughs> the taste. Yeah. And then another one I thought looked absolutely delicious 
was the lavender pistachio donut, which is also vegan. Just the icing on it, like, let alone everything else looks amazing. Yeah. But that... I need to go there. I'm, like, so hungry right now. Sweet and salty. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. And they also have, like, cookies. They have croissants. They have, um, things... What do they call Tarts. They kind of look like Pop-Tarts. Yeah, they kind of look like little, like, sophisticated Pop-Tarts. Yeah. They have muffins. Upscale Pop-Tarts. Yeah. Uh, breakfast sandwiches, scones or scones, however you pronounce them, (laughs) (laughs) whatever part of England you come from, and cookies, oatmeal cream pies that are vegan, which I'm obsessed with oatmeal cream pies. If you know Brynn, you know she's obsessed. (laughs) Yeah, like Timo has said, we can have nothing else in the house, but you always have your fucking oatmeal cream pies. <laughs> They're so gross. I love them so much. I mean, I like them, but like, ew. And I'm sure Jack Sturbrew's oatmeal cream pies, sorry to, I love Little Debbie, but sorry to knock you, Little Debbie, theirs look better than yours. They look amazing. Yeah, they look really good. So I can, I'm going to read a little bit about their, um, about their store on their about page. So it says, Jack Sturbrew Coffee was founded in 2003. By Jack himself, Ooh. with the goal of creating a sense of community by evoking childhood memories of the honest family atmosphere of his father's business. Mm. How cute is that? Aww. He paired his this feeling with the highest quality organic coffee, delicious vegan baked goods, and thoughtfully curated mark, marketplace items and customer service second to none to create the Jack Sturbrew coffee experience. Love it. I know. Now serving over 50,000 people a week (laughs) with locations across Manhattan and eastern Long Island. How crazy is that? Good for him. So cool. Jack started as New York City's first coffee house to exclusively serve ethically sourced organic shade-grown coffee. Jack's helped to pioneer the croup-to-cup movement, by working directly with the farmers that grow the coffee Jack's proudly serves. What? How, how oh. freaking cute is that? I love that. The thing I love about them, too, just looking at pictures of their shops, even though they're serving, what, 50,000 customers a week. Mm-hmm. So they're this almost Huge chain company. now. Yeah. yeah. Their shops are still so, like, mom and pop yeah. and homey but they're decorated beautifully there's one with this exposed brick we must go to beautiful (laughs) yeah but i love how it's still quaint looking and he's trying to carry on the tradition of his his dad it's just so sweet you're literally i feel like you would you feel like you're literally stepping into another era yeah so you might be questioning what is stir brew coffee yeah so basically this is on their website as well With the idea of stirring to provide full extraction of flavor, a ton of passion, and the help of Jack's father's friend, a world-class engineer, the Stir Brewer was awarded a patent that was already in use at the first Jack's location on 10th Street in New York City. So that's so, like, that's so cool. He revolutionized and, like, made his own way to brew this coffee, and now it's this huge thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I don't know if they also have this at every location or if it's just select locations, but on their Instagram, I'm seeing pictures of go-to windows where you can pick up coffee at the window, and it looks like they have little doggy treats for puppies. They're puppy friendly. (laughs) 
love it. We love that. Yeah. So let's get to the actual coffee. Yeah, I'm enough talking about them. I could literally go on yeah. for hours because I really want to go to this place now. I love their whole vibe. Yeah, me too. So um, Bryn's taking a little sippy sip. The smell of their coffee is absolutely amazing. It definitely <laughs> makes me want to try Her, like, it. noses in the mm. coffee. <laughs> mm, okay. It makes me feel like I'm sitting in a diner in the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> Very quaint. I haven't tried it yet. Actually, we both haven't tried it yet. We normally take a sip before we start, but we haven't tried Ooh. this one yet. Again, mm. people... You mm-hmm. might have to rely on Kelsey's taste buds a little more than mine because I'm still not fully able to taste, but Ooh, oh I like gosh. it. Wow, there's so much flavor. Mm-hmm. It's so strong, but not in a bad way. Like, I feel like if I want a cup of coffee, I don't want it to be watered down and, like, not full of flavor. This is the opposite. This is very bold. I feel like it's nutty. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's definitely a very bold coffee. Mm. Wow, it's, I could drink that every day. Yeah, same. How else would we describe it's this? Not, it's not... It's smooth. N- right. It's very smooth. And there's no undertones to it, like different, you know, um, tones that we've talked about before, where I feel like it would go with almost anything. Like, if you had different creamers to go with it. It's I, very, like, neutral but bold in the Very same. neutral, yeah. Creamer neutral or... Any flavor additives. Neutral. Neutral, but it's very bold. That's a cup of coffee that I would be able to drink every day. I feel like with with coffees that have undertones in them, I feel like I, I get, uh, not sick of them, but you can't drink them every day. Mm-hmm. This one is very neutral, and I feel like I'd be able to drink it every day. And I feel like with regular coffees that don't have tone, like, undertones to them. Yeah. It's hard to find a good cup of plain coffee. You know what I mean? Not, yeah, not like plain, neutral. But yeah, yeah. But this definitely, I would love to drink this even without flavor in it. Mm, oh my gosh. It's really good. really good. And the aftertaste is I'm making delicious. that tomorrow for my morning coffee. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is, we say this every time, but this is one of my new favorites. <laughs> Could you imagine when I we mean, actually go to these places and they make them, like, their fancy like, mm, style? Mm, yeah. I know. They're going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with these two girls that are just, like, being, like, salivating over our coffee? And we'll be, like, describing it, like, ooh, this one tastes... And they're going to be like, we know. Are you coffee connoisseurs? What are you? That's a dream. Yeah. That's a straight-up dream. It's really good, though. Mmm. Ooh, yeah, I like that. I'm having that tomorrow for my coffee in the morning. Delish! Jax, 10 out of 10. Thank you so much. And, okay, I just have to say this. For a company that has, what, 10 locations, Mm -hmm. and them to support small businesses, a.k.a. us, (laughs) is so nice. Small podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's so nice. And it's just, like, they do care about the smaller people. Yeah. They do care about the people down down the chain. Yeah. And I cannot wait to visit you in person, Jax. It's happening. It is happening. We're going to do it. One day. One day when COVID is a thing of the past. Yes, definitely. Hopefully. (laughs) All right. Is that it? I think so. Okay. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. By the way, Jack, I must meet you (laughs) if you ever happen to hear this. We'll wear matching Fiddler's caps, matching leather jackets, 
And we'll drink some of your coffee. If you're wondering what we're talking about, go to their website and look at their about page. He looks awesome. And <laughs> I want to meet Jack. We hope you hear this. Okay, bye. Basically, okay. So this is called the Amityville Horror House. Amity. Amity. Yeah, you got it. Amity. Not whore, like H-W-H-O-R-E. Horror. Horror. This is, this is a good one, Kelsey. I'm glad you picked this. Yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah, but I don't know in depth about it. I only know okay. base, basics from what I remember, like from the movie and stuff. Okay, you watched the movie? Yeah, like okay. a long time ago, though. So, this house, so basically, I'll do the background of kind of the house and where it was built. So, it's located 30 miles outside of New York City in a Long Island town. And the house actually sits on a canal and has a boathouse behind it. So it's like a very nice house for this time. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, just to jump in real quick. Mm-hmm. I've seen this house in person. What? Yeah, not been in it, but have stood outside of it. Because one of my friends growing up, yeah. he lived like, I think it was a couple blocks from it. And we were over his house one time. He was one of my um, friends that I go on vacation with every year. Yeah. We were at over his house, and he's like, oh, you guys know the Amityville Horror House? And I was like, wait, what? And he was like, yeah, it's, like, only a couple blocks away. And we walked what? to it. Ew. <laughs> yeah. That's gross. Yeah. Okay. So, it was a Dutch colonial house. It had five bedrooms, three and a half baths. Uh, the house was the scene of a mass murder that happened on November 13th, 1974. So, basically, I'll just jump into kind of what happened. 23-year-old Ronald J. DeFeo Jr., he murdered his entire family while they were sleeping, and that included his parents, who were Louise and Ronald DeFeo Sr., and his four siblings, Don, who was 18, Allison, who was 13, Mark, who was 12, and John Matthew, who was 9. Yeah. Yeah. He murdered his family with a 35 caliber. Okay, it says .35. I don't know if I'm supposed to say 35 caliber or .35. Regardless, that kind of caliber gun. (laughs) It was a rifle, and it happened around 3:15 in the morning. So basically, Ronald Jr. left work that night. He went to the bar, and he kept calling home for some reason. And he made it known in the bar Mm -hmm. that he was calling home, and he kept telling patrons like, "Oh, nobody's answering." Like, what's going on? Like, Which is trying, kind of odd. Like, right. you're trying to... Like, establish yeah. And establish that people can be like, oh, I saw him out. He was saying that. Exactly. Weird. So, he left the bar and then returned around 6.30 in the morning yelling, quote, you got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. So, basically, he was in a, a state of hysteria And he convinced a bunch of people at the bar to leave the bar and come back to his house with him to help whatever was going on because he was freaking out. So at one point, he told the court that his sister and mother were involved in the killings and that he had only killed one of the sisters, Dawn. But he eventually confessed to the killings. He changed his story like 20 times. He said that, or I'm sorry, it was believed that he killed his family for insurance money that totaled about $200,000. Like, if he was somehow proven to be innocent in all of this, that's what he would have gotten in insurance money, 
which today would have been about $960,000. I feel like, too, just the fact that he tried to establish an alibi. Yeah. And instead of calling the police or something, you run back to the bar and try to bring people back with you. Like, come see! Help! Like, they've been shot. That's, like, not realistic. That's not a realistic thing for someone to do. Right. So his attorney at the time, William Weber, helped uh, with the plea of insanity, and he said that he was in a state of paranoid psychosis, which, Mm. doubtful. Ronald, Ronald Jr. said that his father at the time was very abusive. He bullied him, and he would actually frequently lash out on his father and threatened him with a gun once before. So, I feel like it was almost, like, building up to, like, this boiling point Mm -hmm. of him killing his family. So, after this had happened, the house was sold 13 months later in December of 1975. 13. Yeah. 13 (laughs) months later. I love the number 13, but yeah. That's your favorite number. (laughs) It was sold to the Lutz family, L-U-T-Z. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And it was at a really reduced price at the time for $80,000. Uh, because of what had happened, they, you know, yeah. So, they only stayed there for 28 days because of the paranormal activity that happened inside the house. Holy shit. At least they were smart enough to be like, no. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. So, the Lutz family, this is kind of what they experienced. I'll start by describing who they were. So, they were a newlywed couple in their mid-30s, and that was George and Kathy Lutz. George was said to be into, like, occult things of this time. He liked summoning spirits and kind of, like, dabbling in that kind of stuff, which, weird hobby to have. And, um, in a place that, obviously, right trauma and has dark things exactly. that come along with Associated. it. That's scary. Yeah. yeah. George Lutz was actually the stepfather of the kids that I'm going to talk about. Um, but he was said to wake up every night at 3.15, which is the time that the murders took place. I'm thinking of something because I know what you're going to say. Okay. Say what you're going to say and then I'm going to say what I'm thinking. Okay. I don't know how you know what I'm going to say, but okay. Because <laughs> so, I, I just know. I it just was... know. <laughs> so the house, and this came out later and a lot of people kind of debunked oh this, but it was said to have been built on an Indian burial ground, which also led to the malevolence of the house. Mm -hmm. So the family said that they started smelling strange odors in the house. (sighs) They started seeing green slime oozing from, like, parts of the walls and keyholes of the house. And they would randomly feel areas of the house get cold. Like, if they would walk into a different room, it would be cold. Um, A priest actually came to bless the house to kind of ease their minds but when he was there, he allegedly heard a voice that yelled, quote, get out when he was in one of the rooms. Why do they always say get out? I don't know. And he basically told this family, he's like, you can't sleep in this room ever again. Like, he was a priest coming to bless the house and he told them, like, don't, get, don't no. go in that room. Yeah. Wait, so what happened with the dad, though, that you were going to say the dad would? I said the dad woke up at 3.15 every night. In the house. Okay, I was thinking of American Horror Story when the dad would just stand by the fucking stove. Like, wake oh. up, the clock would be awake, he would zombie walk downstairs yeah, and, and just stare stand at the there. flame. 
No. And people moving in and out always reminded me, like, with American Horror Story, always reminded me of this. There's a lot of fucking parallels to American Horror Story, and I'm guaranteeing you they got some of the ideas of the newer seasons from this. Yeah. Because it's (sighs) disgusting. So, the family... Oh, I already told you that. Even, like, Tate with the first kid. Mm Mm-hmm. That's kind of a parallel in a way. Yeah. Like... So the spirit was said to continually knock knives down in the kitchen. This part freaks me the fuck out. And this is the parallel to American Horror Story. A pig-like creature with red eyes was said to stare down at George, who was the dad, and Daniel, who was one of the sons, from the window. Here, picky, 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 picky. Ew! I literally wrote ew. Oh, God, no! Yeah. Ew, what's with creepy animals? I don't know. And, like, why does it have to be a pig? Ew. With red eyes. Yeah, look, looking at them through the window. Ew. Yeah. There was said to be flies that filled the rooms randomly at times. Ew, it's like, what is that, the exorcist that has that? Mm-hmm. George has woken up to his wife, Kathy, while they were sleeping at one point, to her literally levitating from the bed. No levitating no so the two sons daniel and christopher were they also used to levitate from their beds at night <laughs> they just used to levitate they just sometimes did yeah Ew. i'm Is surprised that... they weren't out already i mean 28 days is a long time with all this shit going on yeah they were tormented apparently. a room filling with flies i'd be out yeah any of this Ew. oh a pig yeah so apparently they fled to california they would not, they, like, barely talked to the press after the fact. They were super reluctant to talk about, to talk about what happened in the house. And they actually wanted any reporters to, like, keep their new house location a secret. So, like. Oh, it, my God. And like, so it was not for publicity. Just remember that, like, later. Because a lot of people did think that it was for publicity. So, George Lutz said that his family was much happier now that they had moved. This was right after they moved. He said, quote, we are a lot closer together. We value materialistic things less. Privacy is not just about where we live, but about our thoughts. They are no one else's business. So he was definitely freaked out. Yeah. Oh, God. Kathy sadly died in 2004 and George died in 2006. But he later mentioned in interviews before he had passed that the green slime was an embellishment And that kind of made everybody be like, okay, this whole fucking story is made up. Mm -hmm. He said that, you know, he, he kind of dramatized that part of the story, Mm -hmm. but everything else was like real. And everybody at that point was like, okay, this guy's bullshit. Hmm. So were these stories, did it really happen? Basically after telling their story, George and Kathy took a lie detector test just to prove that they were not making this up and they passed, which we talked about lie detector tests. I don't really I don't like them. No. But we don't really believe in those. Like, right. Yeah. One of the sons, Daniel, who now lives in Queens, New York, said that this house literally ruined his life oh and that he God. still has nightmares about it to this day. He I'm like, his, why would you perseverate that much on something if it didn't actually happen? Right. How would it be affecting his life that much if it didn't actually happen? Like, yeah. he has, like, PTSD from it. Exactly. Oh my. He later said that his, him and his brother Christopher 
They say that they remember shadowy figures and being thrown up staircases by bad spirits. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Ew. Danny said, quote, I was was possessed by a spirit that I could not get rid of on my own at one point. Like, this house tormented them for whatever reason. And, like, if it, let's say, devil's advocate, let's say it was made up and concocted Mm -hmm. by the parents or for whatever reason what I mean what kind of people would make their kids and endure this kind of stuff and feed this into kids minds to have them be like fucked up from it later on later in life yeah Yeah. I don't know and then pick up and move them for no no reason to California yeah that just doesn't make sense like from new like literally from one coast to the other coast they're like let's get as far away from this as possible literally yeah Danny later said that the horror that they experienced in this house had nothing to do with the mass murder that happened years prior, but instead it was George summoning the bad spirits into the house. So he kind of debunked everybody's imagination of like, oh, it was, it was all the, you know, it was the mass murders and it could have been, but he, right. And he said that it was more to do with his stepfather, or, yeah, his stepfather. Like, summoning Yeah. That. He probably opened up a, like, opened up some kind of gate or portal that wasn't supposed to be open, if you believe in that. Right. That wasn't supposed to be open or that let, let some kind in. of entity in, yeah. And his brother, Christopher, confirmed this later. Mm-hmm. So, Ronald Jr., the murderer that we had talked about earlier... He is still alive and serving six concurrent sentences of 25 years to life. Oh, my God. In a New York correctional facility. He said that he heard voices telling him to kill his family, but, again, his story changed a lot. Some people said that it was evil spirits that lived inside the house that told him to kill his family. So, it was, like, something that was just in the house Mm -hmm. and, like... Just pure evil? Yeah. Some people say that George had financial motivation to sell the story to the media because the family was in debt, which, again, why would you put your kids through that, even if you are in debt? Right. like, why would you make them believe that all these horrible things... And then pick them up and move them 28 days later? That doesn't make sense. So today, uh, this is, like, more recent times, the house was sold in February of 2017 for $605,000, and this was actually 200000 less than the asking price. So, it's in a very popular area. Up until that po- point, it was owned by four other families since the murders had happened. Mm-hmm. And one family that lived there, actually for a decade or more, reported that nothing unusual ever happened there. And they actually said that the worst thing that happened while living there was... The people coming and like as like tourists. Probably, I was probably one of them. I know. Yeah, I thought of that when you said that. I was like, like, damn it, someone out there. I mean, we just like walked past, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They said there was a lot of people that would just come and like sit in cars outside and just like reporters constantly. I feel like even if nothing was really happening. I'd be scared shitless because of the things that have happened. Like, I wouldn't be able to, like, sleep at night in a house like that. And them experiencing that, I feel like, was not to say that what had happened previously didn't happen. Uh Uh-huh. I feel like what had happened to George and the Lutz family, that was something, like you said, that he had opened, brought with him, 
and maybe even took it to California, and, like, it was his own experience, and right. it wasn't theirs. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Someone once told the press that the Lutz family made it all up over a bottle of wine, which is, like, I feel like people just speculating. And... Let's just, like, fuck our kids up. Yeah, exactly. And make make them go through a traumatizing experience to only move 28 days later and just ruin the rest of their lives. Yeah, exactly. Like, unless they had something wrong with them... I can't really see that being a possibility. I mean, to me, it's more believable that, and I also believe in this kind of stuff, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's more believable to me that there was something malicious in the house as opposed to two parents just, like, making this up to fuck their kids up for life. Right. And one of the owners of the house actually changed the house number from 108 Ocean Ave or 2108 Ocean Ave, it was originally 112 Ocean Ave because they were like, okay, fuck these people for coming all the time. But like, everyone knows what the house looks like. I know. <laughs> and one of, like, the old, like, news reports is like, they changed the house number, but it didn't fool anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, there's a place on Ocean Avenue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're talking about this house. Yeah. So there's book, there's, like, tons of books, tons of movies, But the weirdest one, um, it's one of the movies that was released. It was called The Awakening. It was released on my birthday. Ew, what's up with birthdays? I know, October 12th. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my story. We should watch that on your birthday next year. No thanks. (laughs) Um, Actually, one of the sons... Hard pass. Hard pass. I only talk about (laughs) it, but if I have a visual, I'm out. No, one of the sons came back and did an interview. I think it was Daniel later. And he said he was, like, appalled by how over-dramatized Hollywood made it. And he's like, we were tormented in this house, but, like, it's nothing like the movie. Like, none of these things happen. Like, he's probably almost, like, this is a fucking joke as to what, like, they're... This is a joke about what happened what to us. What actually happened. Like, because... at one scene, apparently, like, the dad falls through the floorboard and is, like, in this, like, water puddle or something. He's like, that never fucking happened. <laughs> He's like, this is... I'm basically, like, making a joke of what my family went through. But that's why they have to say based on true events. Exactly. And then they're fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah. That was my... Second haunted Ooh, that was good. Yeah, thanks. All right, I'll get into my last one. Okay. Uh, so, <sighs> this one has a lot. So, this place, basically I'm going to preface it by saying there's not too many, I mean, there are haunted things that happen at this place, but it's more so like, is this place cursed? Okay. Because a lot of weird and creepy shit happens that's not really paranormal, I guess you should say. Yeah. I don't know. So, I also want to preface this with a trigger warning. So, if you're listening... This whole episode is a fucking trigger warning. (laughs) It is, but this I'm saying for specific reasons. Okay. So, here's my trigger warning before I start. This haunted place contains mentions of suicide, murder, the KKK, and rituals involving children. Ew. There's not too much in-detail stuff, but I just wanted to, like, throw that out there in case anyone's triggered by that kind of stuff. Yeah, I got it. So, this place is Turnbull Canyon. It's located near Whittier, I think that's how you pronounce it, or Whittier, California. Okay. And it's a hiking trail within the Puente Hills Preserve. It's a four-mile loop. Okay. 
So a little bit of history about this place. It's now known as Turnbull Canyon, as I mentioned. It's considered off, or now known as Turnbull Canyon. It was considered off limits to the Native Americans who first roamed Southern California. Okay. And we all know how poorly the Native Americans were treated. Yeah, fucked up. Yep. The They called it, I hope I pronounced this right, the Native Americans called it Hatukunga. Hatukunga? Okay. I don't know. Which means the dark place or the place of the devil. Ooh. Yeah. So they just stayed away from there. They knew. They were smart. Yeah. Yes, they were. <laughs> they were smart. Yes. So in the mid-1840s, many conflicts over the ownership of land in California, which at the time belonged to Mexico, and... Basically, the U.S. was tra- trying to annex this. That's when all of that was happening. Okay. The land was invaded by the sp- by Spanish conquistadors and brutally taken from Native Americans living there. So, mm-hmm. just like in my last Haunted Places case with the Shawnee amusement, amusement park, park, there was a lot of Native American brutality on this land between each other, between the Spanish and them, between Americans and them. Ugh. Just That makes a me lot. sick. Yeah. So, in 1845, the Spanish governor of Alta, California, deeded most of the land in Whittier, or Whittier, to two white settlers. Of course, like, they were white. Yeah. Go figure. Great. John Rowland and William Workman. Okay. And they immigrated, which is also weird. This place was brought up in our cult episode. What? They immigrated from Tau or Taos, yeah. New Mexico. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Because uh-huh. I, same thing, I was like, I don't know how to pronounce this. You think I would have looked it up Wait, by now? I thought that was, wasn't that Joshua Maddox's episode? Maybe it was. Yeah, that's where the, I just that, remember saying it. That's where the woman oh, was. Oh, where the guy, yeah. In that, in that oh, scene. in the barrel. Yeah. yeah. So, they immigrated from there where they ran a successful fur trapping business. And they basically got this land. Mm-hmm. It was 49,000 acres because they needed that much. Yeah, really. Uh, spread. Jesus. Yeah, come on. Spread. It was a 49,000 acre spread included in present Turnbull Canyon. So the canyon wow, was included in that. Yeah, they really okay. didn't need this much fucking no, land. That's, that's just called greedy. Greedy as fuck. Yeah. Workmen, uh, William Workman, I'll refer to him as Workman. Okay. Workman did not get along well with the, they were known as Gabriel Lino Indians, Native Americans, mm-hmm. who were the original inhabitants of the land. Of course he didn't. And, yeah. I mean, they had no reason to get along with him because he's just taking over their 49,000 acres of their fucking that land they where they on. live. Yeah. This, this kind of stuff just makes me sick. Yeah. So, there were constant raids on Workman's property. Mm-hmm. And he built a tunnel and living space under his home to protect his family, which That's I understand sick. protecting your family, but at the same time, like, they have a reason to want to be fucking invading your land, yeah, so. exactly. Uh, later, some of the Gab- Gabrielinos actually worked for him, like, as time passed. Okay. And they reported, which I hope they actually worked by choice and weren't enslaved by him. Yeah, I It didn't so. really mention that. They reported seeing ghosts and, quote, witches in the subterranean passage, so this passage underground that was made, which ended at the family burial ground. Oh. So, and I believe that because I feel like cultural people, like Native, especially the Native Americans, they were so in tune with 
ancestors and spirituality and Mm -hmm. seeing and knowing when something is not good or you know what I mean like they're very in touch with that so basically was this place cursed already from the get-go that they're seeing ghosts and witches Mm -hmm. or what and uh, years later, Workman ended up losing most of his property and money in a failed banking enterprise with his son-in-law, and he ended up shooting himself in 1876. Ooh. Yeah. So it didn't end well for him. So we're, we're like, is this the start of the curse? Yeah. So the le- there's some legends of Turnbull Canyon where, um, these are like a lot of stories that are told, but as legend goes, is it real or not? Mm-hmm. So, during the Depression years, which were from 1929 to 1933, rumors Turnbull Canyon was the site of strange rituals involving a child and a baby-selling cult. Oh, what? Yeah, and this was, like, a big thing. There was a lot of information. I didn't include too much in here because I wanted to keep it short and sweet. Not really sweet, but, yeah, there was a lot of thing about sacrificing children. Oh, no. Yeah. No, no. And there were claims that the area is still used for satanic worship, which I don't like. That, like, really disturbs me. That's gross. An anonymous source recently reported that an old metal sign far up on the canyon was spray-painted with the words, quote, die Jesus. What? Which is just, like, Basically backing up the satanic worship thing. In the 1930s, an insane asylum was once located somewhere in the Turnbull Canyon. This, again, is a... Bad place. Well... bad... Yeah, but this is a legend. They don't know if this is actually true Mm -hmm. or not, because... Allegedly. Yes, allegedly. And according to all of this, it flourished in the 1930s, but it burned down in the early 1940s. Uh, this place had mentally ill patients where, like, your story, they were severely mistreated. Yeah. Esther, Esther claimed to be a former nurse at this institution, and she talked of electroshock therapy, lobotomies, like mm-hmm. your last story, and other really barbaric practices happened there. She said it was just, like, really bad. Yeah. And according to her, she and a doctor were the only survivors of this fire, and all the patients and the majority of the staff perished in the fire. Oh my god. Yeah. So that's why it there's controversy whether this place actually existed or not. Yeah, because they were the only two people left. Right. And if it does exist, they say it's somewhere between Skyline Drive and Descending Drive, and then... There's a path that leads to what they call Hell's Gates, and these gates are actually there. Oh. Which is the, people are like, is the insane asylum beyond the gates? Because a lot of people don't want to try to go beyond the gates. What the fuck? I don't know if you can. I think there's chains on the gate. I know. (laughs) So, around 1962, a group of teenagers were partying in the ruins. This is another legend. Mm -hmm. And the legend has it that one of the boys was killed by the remains of a long, dormant electroshock device that was left over from the asylum, which pumped several thousand volts through his brain and killed him. Yeah. But the weird thing is... The electricity had been shut off to that area since the fire approximately 20 years before. So, like, where the fuck did this shock come from? Some spirit was like, hey, I went through this shit, now you're gonna feel it. Yeah. Oh, God. And then there's rumors of occult meetings and rumored sightings of the KKK. 
Like, why? Why do people go to these places? Ugh. And do, like, malicious shit? Yeah. I don't know. So those were some legends, and now I have some facts uh-huh. of stuff that actually we know 100% has happened there. Okay. So the canyon was named after murdered Scottish immigrant Robert Turnbull. So here's the first murder okay. that has happened there. In 1873, Robert Turnbull arrived in California. He was a shepherd who moved to California seeking to, like, make money in real estate. He was kind of switching, wanted to switch it up, I guess. And he actually became known, 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 he actually became known as the town drunk. Okay. And after William Workman had taken his life in 1876, Turnbull was appointed part of an advisory committee and was able to buy land for cheap. So he was basically just like, okay, I'm taking this land. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of land and I can. And he basically got it it. for, like, I read he got it for, like, nothing. Okay. Meanwhile, all these Native Americans had a... Had stolen from them. Yeah. And he decided to buy Turnbull Canyon because not only was it cheap, but it was a great place for sheep and it had an active stream. So it would, it would, like... It would fl- he would flourish off of it. Yeah, lots of good land. Yeah. In 1885, Turnbull was approached by two men. A- I hope I'm saying this right. Aqui- Aquila? Aquila? Pickering and Jonathan Bailey, who for two years had offered to buy his land. Like, they really wanted it, but he was like, no, no, no. Yeah. And But in June of 1887, Turnbull accepted their offer and sold his land to them for $30,000. Okay. So this was June. June. Yes. January 18th, 1888, so this was like six months later, Robert Turnbull spent the night drinking. On his way home, he fell off his horse and was arrested for public drunkenness, so public intoxication. (laughs) The next morning, after spending a night in jail, Turnbull returned home with a broken, bruised, and bloodied face. He had been beaten, but he did not know what the fuck happened or how or who or anything. Like, he just woke up and he was like this. Okay. And the next day, Turnbull succumbed to a brain aneurysm that the coroner said was the result of a blow to the head. Oh. Yeah. And the aneurysm caused him to fall off the Macy Bridge. So he was, like, still alive, and he had this aneurysm, and he fell off the Macy Bridge into the L.A. River, where his body was later discovered. What? Yeah. And then the men named the canyon after him because they were, like, he was kind enough to sell us this land... And Wait, so the aneurysm couldn't have happened from him falling off the horse? It happened from him falling... No, but... I don't... Possibly, but he was then, like, beaten to shit somehow, and he didn't know how. Ew. Yeah, it was weird. Okay. So then, fast forward, there was a crash of an airplane in this canyon. Okay. Crash of Flight 416... On April 18th, 1952, the L.A. International Airport Control Tower lost contact with Lewis Powell, who was the captain of Flight 416. The plane was supposed to land in Englewood, California at L.A. International Airport around 3.30 a.m., but it never arrived. What the fuck? But then I read another story that said no American Airlines flights were scheduled in that area for a window of days prior and following, and there wasn't supposed to be an American an American Airlines flight in that area at all. So I read two conflicting stories. Oh. But if we go with the first one where this plane was supposed to land, Uh 
Powell apparently made contact with the tower at 3.33 a.m., which is weird because that's, like, an angel number. Yeah. And I think that's protection, so that's just odd. It's, like, the opposite. Yeah. Saying that the plane was positioned over the city of La Habra. And around 10 a.m., a rancher named Hayden Jones was driving around, like, his Whittier Heights ranch when he saw smoke rising from the hills. And he climbed up a hill to, like, see what the hell was going on. And he found flames and pieces of steel smashed into the hillside of the canyon. Oh, my God. Yeah. And residents heard the crash. And it was so loud, they, like, literally thought a bomb exploded. Oh, my God. Yeah. And Captain Powell decided to fly. This is what they concluded. He decided to fly 10 feet below the suggested altitude And there was speculation that he decided to do this because of thick fog that made it difficult for him to see where he was flying. Okay. And then the plane's wing scraped aside of the narrow canyon and spun out of control, and then they crashed. Oh. Which is weird, because that reminded me of, like, Kobe Bryant's helicopter. It's really weird that you said that, because I was, like, as you were saying that it, like, went into the canyon, I thought of that. Yeah. And, like, exactly what happened. Like, they were flying too low. Yeah. Maybe disorientation happened. Yeah. And, like, they just nicked it and spun out of control. And there were a total of 29 people on board Flight 416. All passengers were said to have died on impact. Even the captain? I I believe so. Yeah, I think everyone died. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, which is weird, in another story that I read, it said that it was really odd because at first they couldn't, I don't know how true this is, at first they couldn't all be identified. None of them had identification on them, it said, which was odd. Or they were just all, like, some of them, they had to look at a manifest, basically, because some people were literally burnt to a crisp. Like, like there was nothing left of them. Identifiable. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, moving on, October 12th, 2002, 17-year-old... birthday again. Yes! What the Weird. fuck? Weird. Weird. Really weird. And we both picked two cases that have That have my birthday? Yeah. That's really That's weird. That's weird. Uh, October 12th, 2002, 17-year-old Gloria Linda... Gaxiola was shot in the head on Turnbull Canyon Road and dragged by a car four or five miles to Hacienda Heights. What? Yeah. It was speculated that her killers didn't know her foot had been stuck on a seatbelt and that's how she was dragged. Like, they didn't even know they were dragging her. Uh, What? Yeah. The case was cold for five years until an unnamed witness came along and three suspects were then arrested in 2008 Abraham Acuna, Matthew Garcia, and Victor Mong, or Monge, she had known and been friends with them. And they killed her? Yeah. And they were convicted of first-degree murder for the brutal killing of Gaxiola. Basically, they were afraid she would testify against them for a robbery they had committed, so they just killed her. And then proceeded to fucking drag her yeah. four miles. Yeah. <gasps> and we wonder why this place is, like, Cursed or haunted or some shit. September 2005, a CHP motorcycle officer was killed by a drunk or road racing driver on the east end of Turnbull Canyon Road. Many people drift on that road, like, with their cars because it's so windy. I guess they they think it's a good idea to drift. (laughs) Yeah. And the cop was killed after a night detail because he was dispatched to, like, nab drifters. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which is so sad. That's terrible. Yeah. August 4th, 2009, Christine Martinez was stabbed and slashed with needles. 
and left to die. What? They, like, slashed her across the throat and stuff with needles. What? Yeah. She managed to climb out of the ravine and basically, like, ran door-to-door places with, I forget, she, she had wrapped something around her neck. And she finally got help at the home of 90-year-old Arlene Boatwright. Arlene. That woman lived 90 years and fucking sees something like this. Arlene. Arlene. I bet God you she bless. offered her tea. God bless. Yeah. She probably did. Yeah. Vincent Mendoza, Edward Moraz, and Jose Ayala, Ayala, I hope I'm pronouncing these names right, Ayala, were booked on suspicion of attempted, well, then again, I don't give a fuck, they've killed someone. True. Were booked on suspicion of attempted murder and kidnapping, and just like Gloria in the one story, Christine had known the men and considered them friends. What the fuck is wrong with people? Yeah. Oh. Mraz and Mendoza were found guilty of kidnapping, assault with a deadly weapon, attempted murder, and conspiracy to commit murder. And then Ayala, or whatever his name is, received a 39-year sentence. What? Yeah. In 39 years? Yeah, that's it. That's I guess, well, I don't, that's what I don't understand sometimes. It's like, okay, they attempted murder just Mm -hmm. because they didn't succeed, succeed, and she was somehow lucky enough to get away with her life, why are they being charged less with it? Right, like, he would do it again? Yeah, like, and... That's fucking scary. Thank God she survived. There like, has to be some reason. I don't understand I that. Know. I don't understand it either. Like, either way, they tried to fucking murder someone. They slashed her across the throat and yeah. stuff. Come on. It's not acceptable. So, March 3rd, 2011, an unidentified woman's body was found... And this was 2011. Mm was found hidden in one of Turnbull Canyon's ravines, and parts of her body were missing. Oh my god, I'm never going there. I know. (laughs) She was found, quote, 10 feet deep in an embankment, with her left arm missing and her body heavily decomposed, Uh, and her identity has yet to be identified. No. Yeah, she, they don't know. This poor woman. Yeah, so spooky happenings that actually happened there. Uh, Ghosts of children. Mm Mm-mm. Nope. So I'm already fucking out. Peace. Mm-hmm. Presumably victims of the kidnapping cult, like the chat, whatever, if that really happened. Yeah. And figures swinging by the neck from limbs of trees. Ew. Ew. Which, Ew. that's just like really creepy. No. There's a, they call it the hanging tree. And some have said a man can be sent seen hanging, but he disappears when you look twice. Mm. Some say it is the ghost of a man who hung himself, and he can only be seen at the time of his death. Okay, I am never going. (laughs) (laughs) Never. No. I mean, never mind the fact that... That reminds me of Shades of Death Road. It's in a rant... I know, right? (laughs) It's in a random, like, canyon that you have to hike out to... To only be possibly hit by a drifter or, like... Yeah. Or, met, like, meet with some, like, random creepy fucking people. No. Or members of the KKK or something. Like, I do not want to go there. I want to drive fucking through it. No. No. See nothing. a little ghost child standing in front of my car? No. 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 The spirits of the Gabrielin- Gabrielinos haunt the canyon along with the ghost of William Workman. Mm-hmm. They hear war drums up in the canyon... A Whittier College alumni, Hugo Guzman, I have a quote from him, he went and visited, quote, a friend and I once climbed down the ravine and we had to hike through Bramble to get out. There was something following us. We never saw it, but we could hear and feel its presence. So yeah, I can believe that there are some angry spirits up there. 
I'd say so. Yeah. A lot of bad things happen there. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Haunted burial site, which might include, like, Native American burial grounds, which is never a fucking good thing when someone... There's, like, a mass slaughtering on this yeah. property. I mean, like, that's just disturbing in itself. Right. Gravity Hill, which is another kind of legend, and... These can be found all over the U.S. It's kind of like a weird U.S. thing. I know that there's some in New Jersey where, if you don't know what Gravity Hill is, it's basically you ha- you're in your car and you're at the base of a slope or a hill and you park your car and you leave it in neutral and your car is supposed to roll up the hill on its own. Like, what roll up. the fuck? Yeah, so apparently there's a Gravity Hill somewhere in this canyon. Ghostly shapes and objects that quickly disappear. Headlights... But then there's no cars that passes. Ew. Yeah. Footsteps with no one there. Again, technology acting up, just like the Bell Witch Cave. um, Back in the day, obviously. Yeah, I read an article from the 90s, clearly, at one point. (laughs) Pagers typing random numbers. Like, someone's pager went off and it had random numbers and it was like 666. Something, 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 666. Yeah. Cell phones dying, batteries dying, strange creatures, kind of like the bunny thing. Like, I read one where someone saw, they said it almost looked like it was part dog, part rabbit, part deer. Ew. Yeah, they said it was fucking weird. And like the thing that cars Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And lights from UFOs, like UFO type things. Oh my god, I'm not going. Yeah. So yeah. I have a couple theories that I had read that were written down about why all this crazy shit happens in this place first one obviously is it cursed which yes i think it definitely is cursed yeah definitely like it's not a good place yeah a popular theory was that native american spirits are still angry about having their land taken away which yes i would be yes 100 percent. and history of tension between the white people who took over and the indigenous people when it came to the canyon which 100 percent, yes like i don't blame you yeah And another one I read, which was interesting, is that it's almost like a Bermuda Triangle of bad juju. Like, just, like, really bad Like a bad area. Yeah. God. Yeah. That is terrifying. That's the end of Turnbull Canyon. I love hearing about these things, but when it comes to, like, if I have to, like, watch a movie on them, I still watch the movie, whatever. I will never go. Don't make me go. I'll go to the Shawnee Amusement Park. Yeah, like, take me to places that have guided tours that are during the day and, like, nice. No. Nice things. Yeah. Scary nice things. Never mind the fact that how many freaking horrific stories are there of people getting... Of not even bad things happening in canyons, like mm-hmm. uh, coming across someone who's a fucking murderer or whatever, mm-hmm. but people just getting lost in places like that. And dying. Like, in the no, wilderness. yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. I don't. And then don't. to come across some kind of creepy freaking spirit on top of it no. that, no. I can literally just picture like driving down like this desolate road and then like a person just there, like in the headlights. Yeah. I don't like no that. fucking way. And the fact that people drift there too. I mean, why tempt fate on a road that clearly might be cursed? Like that just yeah. doesn't make sense. Or in an area that might be cursed, like that just doesn't make sense. Like maybe if you have to drive through it, I would definitely now knowing this, <laughs> literally go hours out of the way to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Yeah. And that's our show. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh my god. So creepy. I know. So that's the end of this week's episode. Yes. Um, just make sure to follow us on Twitter at Crime Cults Cough and at Facebook and Instagram at Crime Cults and Coffee. Yep, as usual, our resources will be on our Facebook. Along with photos. Yeah, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook